the XXXXXXX files. Exploring feminism and technology through space and time. So, first of all, maybe you can just um, start off by introducing yourself and the work that you do. Sure. Um, so, I am a writer. I currently live in Toronto. Uh, I write fiction uh, with a huge fascination with uh, speculative science fiction and Afrofuturism. Uh, I'm also an arts educator, so I do um, creative writing workshops in various communities. Uh, but I'm also uh, an Aries and a middle child and a tree climber and a video game nerd. And, yeah, like just like this strange person who doesn't eat chocolate. I don't like chocolate. Um, so that's a little bit about me um, and what I do and what I create. Awesome. Have, have you never liked chocolate? Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> it's like I don't like... Like, as a kid, I didn't like chocolate, so, like, birthday parties really sucked because everybody has birthday cake with chocolate in it or chocolate icing and chocolate cookies and chocolate milk and chocolate pudding and all those things are not appealing to me at all. <laughs> um, yeah, that must have been difficult as a, a child for sure. Um, but do you see writing as more of a, of a visionary practice or an observant one? Uh, that's actually a really cool question. I like that. Um, I guess I see my practice like that. It's one that engages with visioning, for sure. Like setting, set, I'm, I'm, I'm in with my writing. I'm setting up worlds uh, that's looking at our present day complexities, but it's in a completely new like atmosphere. But um, I feel like observation is also pretty crucial to the way that I create and write. Like, I've always been an observer. Like, I mentioned that I was a middle child, and I am also a tree climber. Like, I used to love climbing trees. I still climb trees, actually. Um, and I watch people from that point of view, and I feel like that does have an influence on how I address certain topics in my work. And I guess to kind of get back to that question, I don't really think it's either one or the other. I feel like um, many times... Um, I'll be thinking of a concept or observing certain behaviors or patterns, um, and it'll, it'll take a while for me to really, like, fuse that idea, and then all of a sudden it cracks open a window to project this concept of a future or this, this vision that I have for the story. Um, I think they do play, play together. Oh, I love that. Um, that may, yeah, and it makes, that makes perfect sense. It's, uh, it's, but it's really cool to be able to, yeah, the, the way that one kind of feeds the other. Um, mm. And how how did you get started in science fiction? Um, and yeah, have you have you always been interested in, with science fiction? And when did you start writing science fiction? Um, so I have always loved the idea of like things that are fantastical. I've always loved the. I've loved science fiction and read and watched and observed science fiction. I always thought it was kind of fun and cool, but I was super, super, super weary about writing it. Like, this is relatively new, um, like a new preoccupation of mine. Um, I guess when I started writing, I was very into, um, like, short fiction is definitely my baby, and I was very into, like, 
very intense, deep interpersonal relationships uh, in families. And I, I don't know, I just kind of took a, <laughs> took a dive to, to pursue uh, science fiction, I guess, more seriously. And it's really interesting because um, there's a lot of confidence and intelligence and creativity within the sphere of, like, speculative science fiction, Afrofuturism. And I, I'm kind of just tapping into my own uh, well of that. Uh, yeah, maybe it's only been like maybe two years or three years of me really like creating those types of stories um, seriously with the written word. So. Cool. Um, and how how has kind of um, other science fiction and spe- more specifically uh, the work of Octavia Butler influenced uh, influenced your your writing? Well, I think it just got to a point where I was reading so much Octavia Butler where I couldn't not write science fiction. <laughs> Um, yeah, I am a pretty devout obsessor of the hardcore school of, of Octavia Butler. She is, for those who don't know, is like the grandmother of Afrofuturism. She is um, one of the first uh, black um, women writers in science fiction. Uh, and I feel as though I'm so deeply influenced by Octavia Butler's brilliance and her visionary writing, and her remarkable critiques of the human condition. But I'm also forever indebted to, like, the world that she has built and the complex, flawed, powerful, opinionated black female protagonist that she um, has that literally propel the stories um, forward. Um, yeah, but also, like, Octavia Zeller is, like, such an incredible... Um, was such an incredible human, incredible ancestor, like their, like her work ethic was like hardcore. She had a strong commitment to her, her mother. Um, she was also like a person of solitude and had a very strong private life. And so like even just knowing the kind of being that she was while she was on this plane really moved me in, in a compelling and stunning way. So even if I wasn't writing science fiction, I'm still very compelled by um, just her life and her, her creation and her work. Um, yeah, <laughs> like I can gush about Octavia Butler forever and ever and ever. Particularly with the solar turning, solar turning the talent series, um, really um, broke parts inside of me as a reader, not even as a writer, but on uh, as a reader um, in really profound ways. That I, it's one of those, those books that when you read them, you can't really unread them or <laughs> unimagine the world that she set up in those, those pieces. Totally. Yeah. It's like once you've gone through that door, you can't go back. It really changes you. I listened to your speech or your um, your reading at the Women's March uh, in Toronto in January and Mm -hmm. had a similar feeling. I uh, I've just I think hearing your poetry and I have personally been super interested in cyborg theory kind of stemming from uh Donna Haraway's 1980 something um article and 1984 yeah (laughs) read it just like over and over for the past 10 years and then um here so hearing you speak was such an interesting uh take on the cyborg subject with like um, I think just opened up a whole nother world of possibilities for kind of 
cyborg imagery. Um, mm. And um, so I'm really, yeah, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how, um, like what inspired you to write 30% off um, and um, a little bit more about how you imagine the, the kind of future subject of the black cyborg woman. Yeah, um, I don't, it's so strange. I'm like, I'm really trying to remember what the initial catalyst was. I feel like that story, kind of like what your first question was about like observing things and then being visionary. Like I wrote that story very fast. And um, and I'm not necessarily saying that as like, you know, to brag or any kind of bravado, but it's like, I feel like that story was in me for a very long time. So it was like years of observing, years of reading different uh, works reading different articles, um, whether they're, like, science fiction stories or they're, like, real-life things. Um, and so when I sat down to write it, it just kind of came out really quickly. Um, but the reason why I wrote it was I, um, I'm, i like, a founder and a co-editor of the scene project called From the Root Scene, and that's what I was reading it from, actually. I was reading from uh, the issue of that scene um, at the March, and this the theme issue... Um, was about the body and my other co-editor, uh, which is Jean Matherin, shout out to her, um, decided to choose the subject of the body for black, indigenous, and people of color to talk about and address in our, in our zine. Like, that's what we want to explore. And uh, I wanted to contribute a small, small poem as well. And so when we looked through all of the submissions, there was some, like, to this day, it's still one of my favorite themes. Uh, uh, like, of, of the series, and there's so many, there's so much complexity about, like, empowerment of the body, the body being broken, um, like, really sensitive topics around, like, abuse, but then also about, like, um, understanding um, the female body growing in different cycles and stages, and I wanted to write something that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to write something weird that somehow encompassed a lot of the themes that I was deeply inspired by the contributors. I wanted to get weird with it. <laughs> and so I don't even know where this character came from, but she came came to me really quickly. And I realized that I was compelled to speak about the future of the female body um, and what is possible, or if it's even possible, to transcend what that form of the female body would be via technology. Uh, and again, like as you were mentioning with Donna Haraway's like, Cyborg Manifesto, and I, I read it, a really long time ago, and a lot of it went over my head, and then I reread it after I wrote the piece, which I think was really weird. So again, it's this idea of like, like taking in information and not necessarily having it like readily. Like I was influenced by it, but it wasn't like at the forefront of my mind. If that makes any sense. And then after reading, it, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh this makes perfect sense. <laughs> it was somehow stored in my brain. Um, yeah. Um, it is, it's an interesting piece because it was one of those things where I, I I didn't have a very clear vision about it, but when it when it came down to writing the character and writing the things that I wanted to explore and what I wanted to speak to and defend, um, it just came out all at once. Amazing, and um, what do you so what do you find? Um, that's that is so p- powerful or um, dangerous, kind of in the fusion of um, technology and uh, black uh, femmes. 
Mm-hmm. I think it is, um, I think, powerful and dangerous, yes, but I think, for me, I, I like to write things that I'm intrigued and fascinated by, and particularly black women, you know, systemically, historically, socially, whatever, whatever you want to kind of lens you want to look at it, have always been, the, the underdog have always been, um, as the character explains, <laughs> there's all of these ways that, that her and her body have been attacked. And so to even have this, this uh, leg up to this technology or to have this, uh, to kind of almost level out some of the playing field, and it doesn't actually level up. She actually, in her opinion, becomes a superior being, um, totally changes her perspective and changes the way uh, that she moves in the space and how people observe and perceive her. Um, and actually, 30% off is actually just like one piece of a larger story. It's like a, it's, it's in the form of a letter to her friend Viv. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently working on like the response letter. Um, and so I'm, I'm also really interested in like figuring out um, where the that power and danger lies from that point of view as well. Um, because I, I think technology and the way that humans are right now either thinking about or presently like using, um, it, it's very easy to make it a cautionary tale. So for me, I don't, I don't tend to put a lot of judgment on what is happening. I just try to present characters with very strong opinions and see how the reader engages with those decisions that are made by the characters. Right. No, I, that's something I love that about it because yeah, you don't make a clear statement of like, you know, this is kind of like dystopian or utopian. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a possible outcome, like from the perspective of a particular character. Um, which makes it mm-hmm. like so intriguing. Oh, I can't wait to hear the rest of the the rest of the saga and what will happen to Viv. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also nervous because when I wrote it, I had no expectations. I literally just wrote it for my dean because we needed to fill three pages <laughs> in the typesetting, right? <laughs> but since I've like read the piece, not just the Women's March, but at other places, it's, it's also been published in other other spots like it kind of is like it's become this big story like a much bigger story than I expected so now I'm like like my middle child quiet kid like anxiety is taking over I'm like oh crap now the, the, the letter has to be just as good um so that's gonna be fun <laughs> oh I'm sure it'll work out um Okay, so one more question. I um, I wonder if you can consider um, at all yourself, your writing, um, your work, your work with the community to be um, utopian or a, a utopian practice. Oh, okay. Um, I like how you mentioned not just my writing work, but then also my work with community. So I do appreciate that. I feel like my writing is more, um, sometimes I feel like it's commentary, but then sometimes I think it's just um, generating stories and imaginative worlds about the present day. Like everything I'm writing about 
is about what I struggle with personally or people within my community struggle with in this future past world, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so think about the word utopian and uh, it like, you know, I'm already thinking about this like idyllic future world and I, I'm interested in writing. Sometimes I'm really, it's therapeutic to write those, those future worlds. Specifically like, I love the idea of creating like a black utopian world in contrast to the anti-black world that I'm living in. But then again, I'm like faced with this uh, challenge as a writer. Like, there's no story without conflict, um, and so I'm I'm analyzing like the cracks within a supposed utopic world. And there can't, and there will never be a utopian world because someone will always be unhappy or dissatisfied by it. But I think um, when I'm thinking about like the writing that I'm doing and the work that I'm doing, it is. Uh, collective community world building. Like, science fiction writers are always talking about world building and you should get a room, you're coming up with, like, the government structures and the new languages and, like, like the landscape, but I think we're doing that work in community, too, by having those conversations. We're doing world building right now by, like, defining ways that we can live together that um, honors each other and respects each other, or how do we deal with conflict? And what, how do we transform into a next phase and I don't know if utopia is a goal I think um, finding ways to connect and live alongside each other without destroying ourselves and destroying the planet and destroying other beings around us might be a more realistic goal than this concept of utopia and like that also like makes me think about interpersonal relationships and interspecies relationships too Like, the more that I, and again, I'm only going to need in this kind of genre of visionary space for two or three years, the more that I do it, the more that I'm thinking about it. And it's not even just writing a story and creating characters and coming up with a concept and putting my name on the top of the page. But the more that I'm thinking about this process, I'm actively engaged with, like, the people who I talk to. What are creative ways I can live my life? You know, like, these are the ways that, like, a status quo has told me I should live my life. And people don't want to be told how to live their lives. But, like, how creative can we really get? Like, how can we really stretch the boundaries of it? What does that actually look like to imagine what our personal relationships look like? What if we could just reinvent them? And I think a lot of energy and a lot of work. And a lot of times, like, Black and Indigenous people of color or folks from, like, super vulnerable communities are the ones that are... um, that have that uh, capacity to do that visionary work, um, but are also struggling to survive. So I always feel like when we're talking about utopian states or utopian worlds, um, it's, it's we have to also talk about survival as well and who's doing that labor to, to create those visions. Right. Okay, so... Um... Now I wonder if you can um, read something for us or whatever, or, or two things as kind of as much time as you have. Yeah, sure. I can read two things. I think it's probably apt to read 30% off because you were talking about it so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I can start with that and then I can read a new piece that I have. Okay. Um, so the first um, reading is 30% off. It was originally published in From the Resume. Issue number two, which is the body issue. 
Ashes to ashes, Defoe, 23rd century. I don't want to return to death. Uploading my memories to an internal hard drive is far more practical than writing away into the ground. Okay, that was a bit morbid, even for me, Viv, but it's true. That's why I sent you the hollow file for the coupon, 30% off of all surgeries till the end of the month. Talk about a sweet deal. But before reading any further, did you upload the holograms I sent you? I know you haven't seen me BCT before cyborg transformation, but totally different than the older model, right? My right eye, organic and twitching, helps me create and see as you see. My left eye, never blinking, snaps my thoughts, scans my surroundings, monitors my vitals in the corner of my eye. The chrome is rust-proof. The metal coverings are both flexible and durable, and I still look like me. Waiting the extra four months for the upgrade paid off. It's only been seven weeks, but recovery was quick, and there were no complications. Unlike those other cases in Sweden, those poor white people. Only melanated folks survived the transformation. The source to power my mechanical parts rely heavily on solar energy, and our rich skin stores it naturally. It's only been seven weeks, but I've never been more connected to my body. You know, BCT, I didn't really listen to my vulnerable body. My instinct to be wild, strong, intentional, and assertive was constantly choked by a pang, a churning in my stomach. Fear. Fear does not live in a cyborg body. BCT, I didn't really listen to the signs of my monthly cycle, let alone the intricacies of my greater cycle, puberty, pregnancy, menopause. These phases only brought about confusion, anger, and inconvenience. Now I can regulate my hormones at will. Chill my temperature when I'm ovulating and cease menstruating now that my eggs have been pre-harvested. Flux does not live in a cyborg body. And my newfound strength, Girl. magnified to that of any man. In my vulnerable body, I was susceptible to exterior dangers, but my cyborg body cannot be broken, bent, bloodied, bare at the hands of someone stronger than me. Fragility does not exist in a cyborg body. I am not a woman, an addition to the human species, a sexual object, a rib. I am a hybrid. More than a mother, but a full embodiment of pure energy, a walking, talking entity capable of things beyond even my own grasp. My body no longer has to fight to survive, to have meaning, to take up space, to be accepted, to exist beyond its otherness. Inferiority does not exist in a cyborg body. I'm telling you, Viv, the cyborg nation is the future. It's only a matter of time before BCT is a thing of the past. And you will have an easier time convincing your mom. She's much like you. Open-minded, beyond the polarity of popular thought. My own mother believes me to be abandoning my nature, or nature itself. She's so paranoid, and worries for my spirit. My powers frighten her, and there is a separateness when she reaches for my left arm with flesh and hair and nerve endings, and my right arm that is cool steel unresponsive. But my spirit will be downloaded into the fabric of the universe, forever flowing through some circuit or another, and once she finally grasps the promise of eternity, all else will seem like insignificant sacrifices. I don't want to return to death, and I don't want you to either. Check out the discount, and if you're serious, ask for the full treatment. 
Next time I visit, we'll be matching. Symmetrical. Twin cyborgs. The decision is up to you. I love you so. Either way, I want you to I want to know what you think. 30% off is a steal. The next piece is, is new. Uh, it's called Hollow Hollow Abdi. And the first hollow is H O L L O W dash H O L O and then Abdi, just if you wanted to reference that. Perfect. I will. Oh, definitely. Uh, and it's dedicated to all black mamas. The morning sky is full of twitching cotton. My vision of the world overhead. It's swallowing blues, the underbelly of a cloud, like a sky shadow. My son sits on my forehead this morning. This expression, once unfit and strange, seems perfect against the day. I hold on to his memory too hard again. I shift through discarded moments to patchwork him back to life. Yes. The time travel did what it said it would do, but also did not. Yesterday was anything but comforting. The loop of Abdi walking out the door, indifferent, stunning, painfully ordinary, made me feel worse. I, naive to the idea of closure, obliterated whatever part of the healing process I had begun. The details were all wrong. In my mind, he is in a black cap with a jeans jacket. He looks over his shoulder, smiles at me, and says, See you later, Mom. But the granular moment of time-lapse reality, Abdi wears no hat. No matter how many times the track loops, I cannot make out his full face. His presence is flat and ghostly. He walks out the door as if this is not his home, as if I am not his family. It pains her more than it pains me to admit that my sister was right. You can never really go back in time. That hologram is not my child. These memories are not for ownership. I've read articles of people getting lost in the void between dimensions, seeking out alternatives to reconnect with lost ones. In this morning light, living in this world without Abdi, their fate doesn't sound altogether terrible. My ancestors have had to cope with loss of thousands for millions of years without technologies like ours, and I can barely fathom to cope with it. I see him, my son, in his truest essence now, as the sun peels open the day. Light pours into my vision, and the blues aren't of the sky, but of the jeans jacket, and the shadow isn't of a cloud, but hands under his lip as he curls into a smile. No confusion, no contradiction, just pain, just my boy absent of pain. One mother, far less fortunate than me, had the horror of holding her black boy in her arms as he slipped away. She filled out the application, same as me, and received her entitlement to 30 seconds of transplant of her last vision of her son. I hope she never watches it. Who knew one could survive such agony if one survives at all? Between your mind 
Yeah.